Hey everyone, this is a very different episode than previous episodes that I've done on this podcast. It covers some extremely disturbing and difficult topics, ranging from suicide, prison terms, pedophilia. So if any of those topics are of concern to you, or topics you would rather avoid, I would highly encourage to skip this episode, as this will be a very candid conversation about what I perceive to be a very tragic story. I also want to make very clear that this is intended to just be the retelling of one side of this story. I have made sure that there are no criminal cases pending in regards to anything being discussed here. I am not liable nor responsible for keeping track of civil suits. What I want to make sure is that there are no criminal charges, pending cases, etc. This is a very powerful story. It's a very interesting story. I highly encourage you to listen to all three parts. I have done my best to talk as little as possible and to just hear what Trey has to say. Again, this is his side of the story on events that have happened over the last two years. Also, if you are suffering from suicidal thoughts or any other crisis, please call the national hotline. You can do that by calling or texting the numbers 988 on your cell phone. Again, if you have any of those thoughts, any of those issues, any crisis in your life that you are considering taking some sort of action along those lines, please, for the love of everything, call 988. Without any further ado, here's the episode. Part two, 23 days in jail. Run with three days in jail. Yeah. So January 7th, 2021. I'll never forget it. There's been a lot of talk about January 6th. Yeah. Currently, uh, January 7th was the day for me at work. Dropped my oldest son off at school. So it's the first day of school for um, elementary at this time. Take him to school, drop him off, head to work. I'm like, all right, this is it. Full time dad mode. Let's go. Right. My youngest wasn't in school yet. He's pre-K, so they didn't start yet. So show up to work, and then, uh, I don't know, an hour or two later, uh, three U.S. Marshals show up at the office, uh, mm. fully strapped uh, to have a signed arrest warrant, uh, first-degree felony charge, and show, I mean, they got, and again, to their credit, they're performing their job, so they thought they were about to arrest, you know, first degree felon. So they, you know, right. blocked the back door, blocked the front door. And I walk out in handcuffs and, uh, we call it incarceration day at work. Now we kind of kind of laugh about it a year later. Incarceration day. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, I'm glad you can laugh about it. Yeah. You got to, you know, it's like you can laugh or cry about it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, uh, get put in handcuffs, get put in the front seat. Um, and then I was at Anderson at work. The warrant was for the city of Spartanburg, where I previously lived. Still had a house at, still hadn't sold it yet because of everything that went down with um, the, the suicide, uh, you know, 10 days prior. And so, yeah, I get, so I, the marshal lets me use my phones on the way up there. And it, 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 by the time we got to Greenville, so that's about, so Anderson to Spartanburg context is about an hour-ish drive. Greenville's about halfway in between, 30 minutes or so. And I'm just cranking out phone calls, calling my parents, like, hey, get the kids. I don't know what's going on. Calling my lawyers. And by the time I get to Greenville, the guy kind of looks at me. And it's like, man, I don't, you didn't do this, did you? I'm like, nah, man, <laughs> I didn't. Now he's just doing his job. He's executing a warrant, but he just um, kind of understood when you just start just a little bit of digging, 
uh, surprised that the police didn't do the same. The same investigator that had already cleared me a year prior, where I fully cooperated, you know, no lawyer didn't even press forward the charges because it was so obvious what was going on. That same investigator was on that arrest warrant with no contact with me since then, just really confused. And so you show up, you, I'm in my plain clothes, I get booked. And what I learned is they expect you to kind of know what to do in jail. Usually they're repeat offenders, I guess. But I'm literally just kind of standing there like, uh, I'm sorry, what do I do now? <laughs> oh, you got to clean your pockets out, get your stuff out. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like having to walk through the steps because no one really tells you what to do. And um, go through the metal detector, obviously, but I'm still in plain clothes. And I'm like, so do I need to get numbers out of my phone? They said, yeah, you should do that. I was like, okay. Like, can I get a scrap sheet of paper or something? It's like rip off scrap sheet of paper. And that was like my lifeline. I, I wrote down my lawyer's number, my home number's. And a few friends' numbers. I didn't know. I just had it had it in my front pocket. I'll never forget it. It was like that was like my lifeline. I couldn't lose that. So going to booking, they call it the pit at this particular jail, and people were in plain clothes. There's also people in their um, jumpsuits as well, the orange jumpsuits. But uh, I learned. I was like, okay, so what do I do here? I'm waiting on my bond hearing. So apparently, you know, per the law, you're supposed to have a bond hearing within 24 hours of being arrested. Well. I'm checking into the booking desk and the ladies asking me questions and I'm like, ma'am, I don't, I don't know why I'm, what I'm doing here. It's all I have in the arrest warrant. So she tries to call the police. They don't have their stuff together yet. So it's kind of the ladies like telling me this is normal. So they appear to kind of arrest you, then figure out the paperwork later. It's just baffling. You charge someone with a 25 years of life charge. Um, so I just go sit in this pit, uh, sit, the guy's on one side, girl's on the other side. This one guy just starts talking to me. He's got, he's like, hey, man, can you read this warrant? And I couldn't read. So I'm like, this guy got picked up for just walking out of a gas station with two cases of beer. <laughs> so wow. I'm just like, what is happening? Finally, I mean, hours later, I have to stay in holding cells. They serve you some uh, sandwich, but you holding cells because I wasn't officially booked yet because I'm waiting on my bond hearing. And technically, you can get released on bond or not. You don't know. Yeah. So I slept on the floor in a holding cell with three other dudes. And it's just concrete floors with a little hump at the bottom where the floor and the wall meets. And that's kind of my pillow. I mean, there's nothing. They don't give you anything. So I'm just kind of curled up with these three other dudes in this holding cell all night. Waiting on this bond hearing. Um, the next day I go to my bond hearing and the guy that's estimated, it's like, I mean, midday. And the guy that's escorting me, the bailiff or the cop or whatever said, uh, I don't know why we're doing this. It's just, you know, there's no way you can get out on your charge on this bond hearing. You have to wait for a circuit judge. But he said, we have to kind of do it because that's per law. So like, there's no chance of me getting out. Well, that's not good. Yeah. I was like, well, that's encouraging. So it was just going through the motions to kind of, you know, checkbox that law. So I technically didn't get a bond hearing within 24 hours. I did, even though they couldn't release me at all. And yeah. they just said that. So I'm in there. It's virtual because everything's COVID, you know, 2021. 20, and I'm in there. And, um, you're in front of this judge and uh, I think I'm still at this point I'm in my jumpsuit. I had to change in my jumpsuit, my orange jumpsuit. So I'm before this judge in an orange jumpsuit. And my charge was uh, criminal sexual conduct on a minor under 11 years old. Wow. My own child. The worst possible thing you get accused of. I'd rather be accused of murder, obviously. Um, if I had to pick, I'd pick neither one. So that, that's hanging over my head. So I'm going before this judge 
And he even told me, he said, I can't allow a bond. And I was accused. So I'd already been clear to my oldest child. That's where I mentioned that in the previous podcast where he quite literally said, mom told me to say this. Well, now it's my three-year-old. And so it was very interesting the terms of the bond. Uh, on every phone in the jail, it says very clearly right in front of the pay phones, do not contact your victim. And I saw a guy contact his victim because they listened to the phone calls and like, they barraged this guy and took him off because you just can't. But I was allowed to have full contact with my sons while I'm in jail, which is very okay. strange. You think I did this to my children, but yet I can have full contact with them. So you could kind of see off the bat that this judge really didn't believe what was going on. But anyway, he says, you got to go back in jail and wait on the circuit judge. And that's just an indefinite amount of time when the circuit judge makes his way around. I don't know how they work. I don't claim to know that. But based on my charge, only a circuit judge, I guess he's got more authority or power. I don't know. So then I get put in, they get fully processed after that, um, bond denied. And they have what they call the BMU, Behavioral Management Unit. Uh, this apparently is a part of the process when you're booked. It's supposed to be a three-day period. Um, it's when you're put in um, isolation, kind of break you in to show you what it's like if you were to break the rules and not obey. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And so, but because of COVID, it was five days. And so that, that's like you see in the movies, man. It's an eight by 12 cell. Everything is uh, stainless steel, aluminum, like got the toilet right there, two bunk beds, a little desk, and that's it. I mean, they feed you food to the slit. I mean, it's legit. There was a guy in there the first two nights. Um, he was on the bottom bunk. He didn't say a word to me like the whole time. It was very like, and I'm not in here, you know, in the top bunk, they give you a blanket and stuff. At this time, I'm like, uh, I guess I'm not going to say anything. I don't know. Like, <laughs> he ends up leaving. And so there's just after two days, so it's just me. But it's just, I mean, you don't leave the cell. It's 24 um, 7. They have inspections in the morning and afternoon. I have my one sheet of paper of the rules for this. You have like an orientation via video. So it's just like, I'm, I'm, walking miles in the cell pacing out because I'm just, I'm working out. I don't know what else. There's nothing I can read per their own rules are supposed to give you a Bible or a Quran. I hmm. asked for both. I asked for a Bible initially multiple times. I was told no every time. So then I started asking for a Quran, just something to read. And they said, no. So I, I never received any kind of Bible or Quran as supposed to be given to me. I got a shower. You get a shower every three days. So I finally got out of my cell downstairs didn't go outside for a shower um that was the best shower i ever had but it's like you said i mean this open air you've got some used soap there or whatever that's part of it and i walked back to myself so and day five again and you're these phone calls you're supposed to that i'm you know again you watch all i have is movie context at this point you're supposed to get your phone call i never got mine until day three or four when my dad actually called the jail trying to figure out where i was mm. I was never given a, so no one knew what was happening. And if you try to look at, you know, the uh, police uh, website or whatever, they kind of tell you their book. They don't really tell you details. They don't know where, I mean, so he finally got through and they allowed me on my phone call finally. Um, but it was depending on what guard was on duty that night that did the rounds, you could kind of tell, all right, this guy's gonna, then when they come in to take your, um, when they do their roll call, you're supposed to stand, you get on your knees, cross your legs, face the back of the cell, hands on top of your head, and don't look back. 
So it's pretty, you know, wild. And I understand why they do that if you've got people in the, but that's so it's pretty humiliating when you're on your knees facing the back of the cell, hands on your head. And if you didn't do that, if there was a crease in your bed, you know, for whatever reason, they could deny your phone call or deny whatever. And so you're just kind of on eggshells that whole time waiting on who's going to come through. And there was one guy that was really cool. You could tell he's actually, he was a prison guard. You could tell he was seasoned. Some of the other guys were new guys on the scene, younger guys may or may not have had authority complex. You know, here's their, their fiefdom, their kingdom, they get to rule. So right. anyway, but after day five, I got out of that, um, I see, you know, solitary confinement essentially is what it is. And then put back in what they call general population. So I got put in a van, I shackled up on my feet, my arms, like you, like you see, put in the back of a van because the jail I was at, we had to go to the annex is what they called it. So it was about 10 minutes down the road. So we all got put in this big van, six or seven of us in the back of this blacked out van uh, for general population or whatever they call it. And so this is guys with my same charge. So they separate the criminal sexual conduct prisoners. Again, just like you see on the movies, because those guys usually don't make it for whatever reason or they get um, people think there's there's child predators in prison. That's not looked kindly upon in right. their own kind of you know moral system. And I'm honestly, I, I get it. I wouldn't either. But so I'm, I'm in this room. So I get in this room. I'm in my jumpsuit. There's probably 50 or so other men in here. Um, it's just this giant open room. It's an old abandoned warehouse. I can't even tell what it is outside. It's they basically repurposed an abandoned building. It looks like for a jail. Um, but there was, you know, bunk beds, three, three high in this big room. And in the back are the bathrooms, but in full, everything's in full view. You've got a, a center block wall about three feet high. But if you're using the business out there, if it's in full view, they've got two showers in the back corner that, that they do have doors. And then in the, uh, the middle is a living quarters. And the, the front is like a game area. TV area and two two phones, and so because of the condition of the building, there was no heat. And one, this is in January, there was no heat in one of the rooms. So our fifty was supposed to be like twenty five, but we were double booked essentially because the other area was unusable. And so I'm in there during COVID, fifty deep, three bunk beds high, and that's my life for eighteen days essentially. Mm. Um, you. It was really strange. The breakfast was like 4.30 a.m. So you wake up for breakfast, but then you have to go back to bed because roll call is not till 6 a.m. And then you can't get out of your bunk till 7 a.m. And then you go do your free time or whatever, read books, play games, watch TV, whatever. Lunch is around 10.30 a.m. And then dinner's around 4.30 p.m. So by the time like real dinner comes around, like you're actually hungry, but you got to have money to get your canteen money. I learned pretty quickly canteen's the currency in jail. You've got to buy your pen. You've got to buy your paper. So to write postcards, I had to buy all that stuff. And because I was in there, I had to wait a week to get it because I was a week behind on the order. Um, you got to get snacks and those kind of things. And you got to pay to even use the phone in there. They mm. charge you by the minute. But if you have no, no, no money in your account, you know, don't, if you've received one of those phone calls from jail, it says you can accept these charges or not. If you have money, you can choose to pay it on your own or just hope the person on the other end of the line picks up we'll pay, and yeah. the charges. Um, so finally got my stuff, but um, you know, I know lawyers tell you not to speak in there and, do, and I didn't speak about details of what I was charged with, but like what else am I gonna do for eighteen days in a room with fifty dudes? Um, 
And so I learned a lot, man. I, I got pretty good at spades. <laughs> uh, these guys, these guys are serious. So there's some guys I learned. So there's a term called down the road. So the guys that had already been to prison for years have been, or have been previously, they call it down the road. So they said, yeah, down the road, spades is a big yes. You know, you barter with your canteen money. So learn a lot about that. It was weird. The guys that had been to prison actually preferred prison over jail. This is a interesting, a, a, a common held belief because in prison, you've got your own room. You sometimes usually have a job. And they said most guards and, and honestly, prisoners kind of treat you with respect as long as you keep, you know, don't cross any lines, keep yourself. And they come to jail and they're sharing a room of 50 dudes, a bunk bed. Um, and it was really strange, too. There was a lot of these guys that had served their time in jail. So they had served their sentence. Ooh, yeah. But there was a, a with this certain charge of com- criminal sexual conduct. And for my, this is all secondhand. I haven't verified this, but apparently there was a law passed where you've got to be cleared psychologically before you can be fully released. So while these guys are serving their time in prison, they've served their full sentence. There was a law passed while they're in there that they're now affected by. So these guys, uh, unless they were lying to me, I don't have any reason to believe they were because there was like four of them, have served their time. They're under no pending charge, but now they're just sitting in jail for an unknown amount of time until there's like one guy in the state of South Carolina that does this, these evals, just waiting to be cleared by this guy. They don't know when, they don't know how, like you can't really get a lawyer because you're not really under a criminal charge. So they're just kind of in this purgatory waiting mm. and you throw that in with COVID. I mean, some guys have been in there for a year or more. Other guys have been in there for two or three years waiting on their bond hearing. Wow. Um, or maybe, sorry, not their bond hearing. They were denied bond, just their initial court hearing. Sorry. Okay. 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 That's yeah. And so the number one question I got when I was in jail, bar none, all the guys asked me, you got a public attorney or you got a public defender or a paid attorney? Every guy asked me that question. And I'm like, a paid attorney? And they said, you'll be all right then. And you hear that the first few times, you're like, I don't know. But on my experience, that was, that was true. You know, public defenders, they're not going to get to the front of the line. You know, they're not going to. Uh, get an ear of a judge, so to speak. And they're not going to push for things. I, again, they're public defenders. And again, I'm not saying there's, they're all bad. I'm sure there's good ones, but just, you know, these guys are in there and years just sitting in jail, waiting on a hearing. They don't know when's coming. And I learned pretty quickly that it is a it is about how much money you have. You've got to have money, like I said, to get canteened. You've got to have money to make phone calls. You've got to have money for an attorney or not. And you get these guys again. I'm not defending what they did. I'm not. I didn't. Not pretending to do that. I understand people do horrible things. There needs to be consequences. But you started seeing things a little bit differently. I did anyway. You start seeing things. These guys get in these cycles, a poverty cycle or whatever. You know their their social cycle. They're, they don't know any different. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I was charged with a first degree felony charge, 25 years of life. And you start hearing these stats. And I researched it when I got out. It's true. Like only five percent of criminal cases actually go to trial. Right. And so you start thinking, well, that would incentivize a solicitor to charge me initially with probable cause, which I learned is a very, very, very low bar probable cause for an arrest warrant. What it appears they would arrest you, cut off your resources, then build the case a lot of times afterwards. Not all the time, but 
that appeared to be the case in my scenario because there was no case to build anyway. And then they stick you with this charge. And then if you're a guy that's been in this cycle, you've got a rap sheet and you're facing 25 to life, for example, or even 50, whatever that may be. Or you can plead guilty with an ankle monitor and community service or whatever. I mean, or, or you're left with sitting in jail for two to three years, maybe. You'll, and then if you owe child support, you're also being dinged for that. Even though you're in jail and you're likely fired from your job, you have no income, you're still responsible for that child support in that time. So there's just a lot of factors that my eyes are open to. And um, I learned that if, if law enforcement wants to railroad you, they can. And thankfully, I had resources on the outside, friends, family. I mean, I'm looking for, I mean, $15,000 retainer fee for an attorney. You know, my family paid that because I couldn't even contact him. He saw me in jail through the glass for the first time. You know, this guy was. Um, and if you don't have that, man, like, I mean, you're just, you're in the system, as they say. And there was some guy, I mean, you talk to guys, you know, I don't, whether they were lying to me or not, but like, they were normal people. They were, <laughs> they had some crazy stories. You had some crazy guys in there. Uh, but while you're in there, it's like, there's no need trying to like guard your turf. There's actually one skirmish and actually it got broken up. It's like, there's no need for this. Like we're all here, like whatever we did. And there were some guys in there that did some pretty horrible things. Um, don't get me wrong. Um, but I'm in there. And I, so, and while I'm in there, I actually get served. This is probably halfway through or so. I actually get served papers in jail um, from a former family member mm. for another lawsuit. Um, I'll never forget that moment. I, you know, I was trying to feel, I still didn't know what was going on trying to make phone calls all day and trying to figure out. And um, I get served papers in. We had some assumptions that might, would have happened. Like, Cause when I got arrested, it hit all the major news outlets up here. I mean, all right. ran, ran with the story. We're like, how did this get out? Um, how's this, a thing? how, one, how was the arrest? How did this even come about? We're still trying to figure that out, but we had an assumption. Then I got served papers in jail from a former family member and trying to take custody of my children wanted me to pay them child support, me to have no visits. And again, I this connect dots possibly. Um, the same person showed up in my initial bond hearing and the first words out of their mouth was, no bail, I want the children. So kind of have all this kind of coming together as well in criminal court. And uh, I'll never forget that. I was like shocked again. Like, like when I received my divorce papers, I like shocked kind of. And even the guy, there was a guy in there. So I, there was... Uh, I learned there's a difference in the Aryan Brotherhood and Aryan Nation. They're very specific. <laughs> They're very specific about that. Okay, tell me about that. So it's very unique uh, mindsets, but I, I can't. Don't quote. I may have them reversed, but I'm pretty sure the Aryan Nation are the ones like I think the Brotherhood claims Aryan Nation is super racist and they're not type thing. I can't remember the discrepancies in those. You, that's got to be one hell of a dynamic where the Aryan yes. whatever says you're the bigoted one. Yes, right. Wow, that okay. legit was the conversation. This is actually a nice dude that I made friends with. He was apparently a colonel in the Aryan Brotherhood or whatever. Oh, okay. So they got like military orders. Yeah, and so he was colonel, and he was in there, um, and he was my bunkmate. So I made friends with him. I, you know, whatever, and. uh when I received those papers, you could just see on my face, there's only two phones in there for 50 guys. And so like right. phones are a hot commodity trying to make phone calls. Some guys had their scheduled calls with their 
with their wives or girls or whatever. And you got to talk to Laura, that kind of stuff. And I remember, I, I didn't ask him to do it. He remember in front of everyone, he said, hey, front phone is taken for the rest of the day. And again, I don't think, I mean, I, maybe he's trying to recruit me. He never tried to, but he was just kind of, he was like, all right, cool. Like I got this Kurt on the Aryan Brotherhood, like vouching for me. <laughs> I was just kind to him. It's just like getting a, your street. Yeah, street dude. So, well, they, they heard my story too. I shared bits and pieces. I never kind of like it, it. It is funny. Street cred can see through all the nonsense. If that makes sense, like they're gonna think the worst case scenario. And me, I, I have a Christian worldview. I I default assume the best about all people, which I want to always do that and not be cynical. But because of that, I can be blind to some very obvious things. And these guys were just kind of like, dude, this is what happened. Like they kind of called the shots essentially. And sure, sure enough, it all unfolded the way they thought it would. But anyway, he had my back that day. And uh, I actually gave my Bible when I was in there. He started reading scriptures. Kind of cool story. I won't get into that. Um, but really neat opportunity there. Because um, I was reading and journaling every day and got to share a little bit as far as my faith with others in there. Um, but yeah, you're in there and then you're watching TV. I watched Super I'm a big Tom Brady fan, so I watched his games in there. No, everyone hates Tom Brady in there. I was a Tom Brady fan. They're you know the Buccaneers made their run. Um but yeah, so just waiting, just kind of this endless waiting. And the, the guys are very creative in jail, man. They when they've been in there for years, I mean, I had a jail burrito. It was actually really good. They take all these different snacks and like combine them. There's actually a dessert I had too. They called a jail, I can't remember, like a pie or something. And they scraped the cream out of the crackers and collect it for weeks and weeks. It was actually really good. And oh, gosh. there was another guy that was making jewelry. So like the, the, the chip bags that are silver inside, mm-hmm. he would flip he would flip those inside out and cut them and like made like jewelry and picture frames. It was wild. Um, again, because we're in there, like might as well, you're just bored. So I played yeah. some chess in there. Um I played chess as a kid, so I got to play more chess in there. And a whole lot of spades. A whole lot of spades, man. These guys are fast. Dear Lord, they're counting cards, essentially. Like, I can't even keep up with them. I mean, these guys. um, I got to where I was decent. And so, but they were serious, too. You better know your stuff because you got to find a partner. And that partner, yeah. yeah. So, that was pretty much it. I wrote a lot. I've actually got a lot. I haven't released these yet, but I actually wrote. I was actually locked up during Martin Luther King Day. And it was pretty symbolic for me. I think, you know, letter from a Birmingham jail. He's in there on these false accusations and I'm in there on a false accusation as well. It's actually crafted, having a letter from a Spartanburg jail and just kind of what I started seeing was just this, it, it really inflamed this passion for me for fatherhood. Yeah. And that a lot of these guys were dads and regardless of what you've done, again, there are heinous crimes that people should be locked up for, not allowed in society. I agree with that. But like it was in there, man. These guys are still dads, right? Like, they're right. Still trying to reach out to their kids. They're still like they're not. Some of these guys were owning everything. That's one guy I talked to. It had like twelve felonies, and seen kind of he's like owned all of them. And it's like, man, I've raced fifteen years of my life, and he's ready. He's in, he's he's one of those guys that was down the road in prison now, just waiting for who knows how long in jail to get out. And he's like, right. he and his son have reconciled since this time. And it's just really these these are just dads wanting to see their children, man. Um, and so I kind of just birthed this reiterated for me as a dad, you know, when dads, I learned this too. So my criminal case stemmed out of family court and in family court and South Carolina, especially, I don't, I can't speak for every state dad's words are not given the same amount as mom, the same amount of weight as mother's words. 
Um, I've had judges have said this out loud to friends of mine before. Like, hey, when it comes to children and childbearing, like we give more weight to the mom than, than the dad. And so I'm not saying I'm not trying to play victim here and say that's all these guys are in there because of that. But it did show me there's a that we, you know, there's two two parents are required to raise a child regardless right. of marital issues. So that kind of birthed that desire and maybe, yeah, but seeing these guys in there, man, they're still they're still dads, still fathers. And finally, twenty three days later, um, I went to see the circuit judge. Actually on day twenty two, I saw him. I was supposed to see him got shackled up again, got put in a van to the other place to go to my bond hearing, never sat there all day, never saw him, came back, and then went back the next day. And uh, you're in there. I was, it was, this is wild to me. So for my bond hearing, I'm in this big room and there's like 20 other um, charged men in there in jumpsuits listening to my entire bond hearing. Oh gosh. Okay which was very strange to me. I'm like, and with my charge, I would say, Hey, Mr. Burns, you're charged with, I mean, I'll just be honest. We can be uh, blunt here. I've already kind of laughed about it now. Like you're charged with molesting your own child. And so I'm in this room with other men charged of who knows what. And I'm like, this is great. Anyway. Um, so I get for the circuit judge. He, uh, grants my grants bond. And with just a little bit of conditions, I was expecting from a lawyer, hey, you're going to get put out with an ankle monitor, no contact with your kids. You know, we'll fight it. Just expect that. But when I was granted bond with no ankle monitor, no restrictions, the only restriction being I can have full contact with my oldest child, like in person, everything, but I can't contact my youngest. Okay. Yes, very strange. Like so, all every day in jail, I'm calling my son. It's not every day because I don't want to put that. I'm telling him I'm working at this point, right? and I wasn't lying. I'm working on getting out of jail. But I told them right, right, they, right, they, right. They, they they know this now. They knew it because my oldest Google Google my name and found it out. But that's another story. Um, yeah, I'm telling them, hey, daddy's working on some things. You're staying with your grandparents for a little while, and uh, so I'm talking to them in jail. And then all of a sudden, well, now I can't talk to my youngest at all, but I can contact my oldest. So I decided to not contact my oldest either just for consistency because that would lead to why is daddy getting to talk? Why is Colton? That's my oldest son. Why is he getting to see dad? And you know, Cade, my youngest isn't, you know, we did. So there's no contact. We decided, but again, it's like it, what I learned through family court and criminal court is that it takes the right judge, a judge with courage to really pierce through all this nonsense. And, I found one, you know, and and no judge wants to be the one to let a possible child molester off. But by their their rulings and lack of restrictions, you can tell they don't believe this. But it's like, it just takes so much to get that fully dropped. And so what happened, I can't make this up either. So the solicitor that incarcerated me and got the judge to sign the arrest warrant, um, all of a sudden claims conflict of interest in the case after I'm arrested. Very strange. So the solicitor claims conflict of interest. Solicitor, like- yeah, yeah. Not the detective working under the solicitor, the actual solicitor whose hand, you know, the case falls underneath. Uh, so, which obviously leads to the question of if you're conflicted now, how are you not conflicted whenever you ram this Started through? This, right. Right. But, and I'm trying to figure that out. I still don't have any clarity there, but so claim conflict of interest. And so it, and the way South Carolina is set up, the attorney general is just a state office. 
And so it got kicked up from the local Spartanburg solicitor to the attorney general's office in Columbia, the state capital. And so they're trying to investigate it. They never contact me, never contact my children. My lawyer just keeps feeding them. Hey, here's the facts of the case. You don't. And then on March 23rd, I'll never forget it. They sent an email. I got the email. I keep it with me to this day. It simply said from the attorney general of South Carolina to the solicitor dismissed due to lack of evidence. So like ordered the solicitor to dismiss it. Wow. So like didn't even investigate. I mean, just clearly just saw it for what it was. Like it was that bad flimsy of a case. And so got released March 23rd. Or sorry, got, got released um, January, in January. Sorry, I, right, right. Uh, Jan, Jan, January 29th, I got released, but then got fully cleared of the charges March 23rd. So in the meantime, I'm still working. Thankfully, my job, they, they were aware of the marriage dynamics before. Uh, so the, the the mental aspect. So they held my job, but I paid all my vacation. And we joke about that now too. Like, no, Trey drained his vacation in jail. So they, <laughs> it's like, what are you going to this week? <laughs> yeah. Look. So I'm having to build that back up. But I was thankful they they held that. Um, but I was still working at living. So my, my, I'm literally living 15 minutes from my children. I can't see them, you know, right, right, right. while I'm getting this. Until, until it's dismissed. Until right. it's dismissed. So it got fully dismissed. Obviously, it was just, you know, tears reunited. It was incredible. And interestingly, uh, I went to get my personal property. So the marshal allowed me to use my phones on the way up there. And again, I'm not saying he was trying to, but I'll, I'll, if you take I, things you didn't know, I didn't know. Whatever's on your possession then becomes possession of the state when you're booked. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they're trying to go through my phones, my work phone and my personal phone, because I brought them with me. Mm. And because they were on my property, I turned them in. They that night, the, the detective now has access to them. Things I wish I would have known beforehand. Nothing on there to hide. It's just these same detectives that's trying to ram this false charge against me. Twenty five years of life. I don't want to give them anything else of mine to possibly, right? You know, maneuver around. So I, I, I had this all documented. I, I, it was over twenty different points of contact. I was given the runaround. I called the jail, called the detective, called the prison. Not the prison, um, like the the city uh, jail admin, like giving me the whole runaround. Like, I just need my phones back. I, yeah, charges charges been dismissed. They held them to them for a month. Mm. Um, the detective after giving me the runaround for weeks, the detective who got the arrest warrant signed, and this was just like this was like a stone cold moment for me of like whoa, because you know cops can lie, and there's no consequence. And I'll, I'll never forget, I got the detective on the phone finally. And they said, hey, Mr. Burns, we have a search warrant for child pornography on your phone. If you can just give us your passcode, we're trying to get into it. We can't break into it. And it's saying this to me. But if you just give us your passcodes, we'll make sure nothing's on there and give them back to you. And I'm, I'm on the phone. I'm like, you expect me to trust you with my personal property after you just had me in jail on a false charge for 23 days? And she just said, well, just, you know, we have a search warrant for child pornography. It's interesting. I have not seen that search warrant. I will have my lawyer contact you. So I had to pay more money for my lawyer to contact. Sure enough, there was no, there was never a warrant. They were just trying to get me into my phones to the, cause again, they had no case. They were trying to, I guess, I don't know, trying to find a, I don't know what they tried to find on their picture of whatever, but I'm thinking in my mind, like, well, I got pictures of my boys in bathing suits with no shirts on. <laughs> right. Is that going to be enough to, you know, who knows what they can make up? with their cases hanging by the threads. So anyway, so that was, that was kind of, I finally got my phones back a month later. Um, 
had to drive back to Spartanburg. I just, it was just, and so what I learned through the criminal system, man, that, after that whole ordeal, and then I'm not expecting a letter of apology or a public apology, but it's like just a simple gesture of, hey, man, we really screwed that one up. Sorry. Uh, courts are so conservative in nature, especially in South Carolina the last 20, 30 years, meaning not conservative politically, but conservative, like they protect the agencies. They go out of their way to protect. And because there was a warrant signed by a judge in my case, it's very tough to get a civil case. Well, but I was saying, was there a warrant for the child pornography on your phone? Oh, no, there was never a warrant. No. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, yeah. Never existed. <laughs> yeah, that that's interesting. And so I'm, I plan on, this is kind of my first public talking about this with you. I plan on getting a lot more public because I've mentioned briefly that family member that served me papers in jail mm-hmm. that just got dismissed or fully settled, dismissed, you know, about a month or so ago. And so that now kind of, now I'll be more talking more about this. And I'm also still pursuing some civil litigation possibly uh, with, with the police, but also the department of social services, which was kind of the whole underpinning of this whole debacle. Mm. Again, they got involved in family court, this, you know, my ex-wife uh, worked there, had friends there. They were found guilty of sanctions because of they violated judges' orders. And then even the police referenced that report. So the whole thing in itself was referenced on a complete debacle of an investigative where they were found guilty of sanctions. So really the whole thing, we'll see. I've, I've learned, I've talked to multiple attorneys, man. It's just hard to get something because those agencies are so protected.